Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. That's uh, Joe Doman over there. Oh, no. Nope. The one and only Nathan Goebel, a.k.a. Natty Ice. A little pudgier than drinking, Joe Doman. Drinking his Bud Light Limerita over there. <laughs> Thank you for telling our listener, Land, that I'm drinking a feminine beverage. Uh, it's all right. This is Father John, and you listen to Catholic Stuff. You should know it's good to be back. Nathan uh, was just uh, telling me we haven't seen each other for a while. No, I don't think since the last time we podcasted. He's buried in his uh, theological studies preparations for his I know. diaconate ordination in March, which is approaching. God save the church. That's right. Three, Four months, two weeks. But who's counting? Two days. Well, it's very exciting. Five hours. So we're recording today on All Saints Day, November 1st. We have an election approaching in several days. By the time this is recorded, this will all be irrelevant because the dates will all have passed. But let's start with Halloween. Uh, did you have an eventful Halloween last night? My costume got uh, apparently flooded. I, I didn't really have an idea for a podcast, so there was a guy, Matt Brees, who uh, won Pod- the... Podcast or Halloween costume? What did I say? You had an idea for the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, I had an idea for a costume, um, and it was going to be uh, Lego Men. Because he had he had two Lego men that were going to be uh, that he had already won a contest with Legos. Yeah, like the, he dressed up as Lego men, like yeah. with the full head and everything. And it was going to be awesome because I wasn't in it to win the costume part, but it's all about presentation. So I don't know if you've if you've heard about this new phenomenon called Gungam style. <laughs> <laughs> Gungam style. So I was gonna get that Gungam style and like get our two Myanmar guys up there because they just love Gungam style. So do, do they really? Yeah, but I wasn't able to do it. So I went as a male nurse. Um, <laughs> Gosh. You know, because uh, you know we, the theme was superhero. So I went as male nurse. Yeah, a hero. I just had scrubs in my in my room. That's all I had. Do you want to explain Gungam style to those who might not know what you're talking about? Uh, I don't even know. It's like a YouTube video of this random guy. That, I think he's from Korea. Um, and it's a rage. It's like all the rage. Yeah, People, and so so yeah. you can just watch this guy do this Gangnam style dance. But like, I don't even think the video is that funny of him doing Gangnam style. The funny part is when they get like random characters from like World of Warcraft and uh, whatever uh, Skyrim. Like they'll change the game to make it look like they're doing Gangnam style. I think that's kind of cool. Very clever. Uh, do you remember uh, Saved by the Bell? Yes. I was Zach Morris last night. What? Really? But all the college kids who were at our Halloween party, they had no idea who I was. So. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. And I also um, need to confess feeling a little weird right now because at the end of the night last night, it was about midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Lisa Turtle dumped you? No. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm so scared. Um, no, that was Jesse Spano. Never mind. Um, That's right. But there's this disgusting moat that runs outside of the student center. Yes. And I uh, went into it Why? last night. Bo, Bo uh, Wagner and I were fighting, and we went in. But I feel kind of like a mutant right now. Yeah, like, like things are changing inside of Secret me. Secret of the ooze. If you saw, if you saw this sewer thing that I th- was thrown oh, into yesterday, yeah. it's horrific, but rather soft. So really, I landed in soft mud. Oh, disgusting. Anyways, that was a three and a half minute um, random introduction. But it's good to see you. It's yep. good, to, good to catch up here on the air. Uh, quick shout out before we begin with our topic. Uh, while I have you in full, you've full been doing, active participation you've been, consciousness. You've been doing uh, shout-outs first instead of last. Well, I don't want to forget. I was at a wedding in Malacca, Minnesota this weekend, and I met Bob. And uh, Bob was, uh, I think, just a friend of the groom. 
But Bob listens to the podcast, and uh, I said, you know what, Bob, you're going to get a shout-out. So Bob married one of the really girls who you don't know, but there's St. Thomas connections up in Minnesota. So There you go. Thanks for listening, Bob. It's good seeing you this weekend. It's always nice when people come up and say they listen to the podcast. Yeah, and I always respond with, I can't believe anybody listens to this I podcast. I know. I know, because like, we think there's like 10,000 people, maybe, like listening throughout you know the United States and New Zealand or something. Uh, but... Uh, then I ran run into random people that are like, "Oh yeah, you're like all the rage on this this part of the." You're like Gangnam Style, Gangnam, <laughs> Gangnam Style. Okay, so uh, politics, everyone's favorite topic. Yes. When I returned from Minnesota, I gave this homily this weekend. I said, "You know, everyone in Minnesota is very nice," and I was like, "I'm sick of being nice." So I'm gonna preach about politics. I'm sorry to take it out on you, and they thought that was funny actually. So I said it in a very charming way, but I said there's basically four approaches. I think that we see of Catholics in politics. And that's what I want to talk about today. You ready? You with me? Uh, uh, I I'm see ready. those eyes. Uh, sleepy eyes. Whatever. I right, just take another swig of your limerita. <laughs> Go on. I'm the one that, just so everyone knows, so you can get a feel for how this you know whole setup goes, John sits in a recliner chair, lean back, just kicking it, and then every once in a while, I will look down at the equipment and make sure, hey, is everything going all right? Are we actually getting this juicy fruit that he's just, you know, laying down? And then he's like, oh, you're so bored. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> That's when you are looking down at the computer for like four or five minutes just straight. It's like, uh... anyways. This is called battered wife syndrome. Ready? Listen to me when I, oh, sorry. Okay, number one. First approach to politics yes. is not doing anything with politics. Just not being involved. Sure. Not an option for a Catholic. Why? What? I know you hate it. Being uh, completely apathetic, being completely checked out of the political realm is not an option for Catholics, but it's something that some of us do. But sure. why is that not the best approach? Well, uh, I just remember from our uh, philosophical anthropology class, Sister Prudence taught us that there that one of the ways of involvement, one of the ways of non-involvement is just like, I'm just not going to do anything. Um, and so, like, this is the person... Just to put it on a smaller scale, this is the person that if you're having a meeting, he just sits there with his arms crossed and like doodling on his paper. And so he's just like, I don't care what you guys decide. I'm not going to like it. Yeah. So this is kind of the bumper sticker that that's like, you know, don't blame me. Don't don't blame me. I didn't vote. Right. You know. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You're not helpful to anybody. And I always tell him, it's like, why are we t why am I preaching about politics? Because if you believe Christ, then Christianity is about humanity. And if you believe Aristotle, hmm. humanity is inherently political. Therefore, yeah. Christianity has to have a political dimension to yeah. it. So we've got to be involved with politics for the sake of the common good. Um, but that's the first option. Not really an option. Ready? We're already moving on to number two. Wow. We're halfway that's through. That's great. The number one. So that's the first option, just not being involved with politics. Then I said there's a second option, which is Catholics who want to sit back and be completely passive and say, just tell me who to vote for. Right? And it's a false obedience to the church, I think. Yep. It's a, it's not an authentic, rational thing to say. What, what's the church's kind of political party, and then what's the church's um, politician? Who should I vote for? Mm -hmm. Just tell me, and I'll just do it. Not good, and not what we're looking for. Now, that's not common here at, at all in Boulder, Colorado. Nope. And if that approach happened, there would be hell to pay. It'd be awful. Yeah. Right? It's just as bad as apathy to just demand blind obedience or to ask blindly for a false sense of obedience. Mm -hmm. I think we agree on that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's also the concept of transfer of conscience. So we have the conscience, which is kind of the sanctuary of God's speaking in the the heart and the mind of of the soul, 
But what people want to do is say, you know what, I really don't want to listen to that because it's too difficult to discern. Rather, why don't I transfer my conscience to this person who, when things either go good or bad, I can say, well, he told me to do that. That's the people that maybe they're going to do this or they already do this with you where they say, Father, what should I do? Right. You know, what should I do with my son who blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, I can give you principles. I can talk to you about it. But in the end, like you're his mother, you're his father. You Um, must, you must decide. mm -hmm. Exactly. So we're all about that. And I made that very clear that not only am I not going to tell you who to vote for, you probably already know who you're going to vote for by Mm -hmm. the time I'm giving this homily. Some of you already even voted. So the point of this is not to say you need to vote for this person. And I said, I'm not worried about this election. I'm worried about the next 60 years of your life. Are you going to learn how to think as a Catholic? Because somebody was talking to a young person recently, and this is very interesting. They said, when I was in high school, I knew all the Catholic teachings on the moral issues, and I even believed them all. But she said, when I got to college, unfortunately, Georgetown, Catholic school, it stripped away. And she said something very interesting, because I didn't know how to think as a Catholic. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? It's not enough to know just the rules and the principles, that that false, blind uh, pseudo-obedience is is not fitting. Like you said, the transfer of conscience. It needs to actually be reasoned and thought out and accepted um, because of that. Otherwise, it's not going to hold in the climate, in, in such a secular climate. Mm-hmm. That's just not an option. The uh, our One of our teachers at seminary always comes back with the reply of, do you want another Franco? And, uh, you know, General Franco in Spain in the 19, what, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. um, he pretty much just made a Catholic state, um, and so he was the Catholic ruler and, you know, m- more of a despot than, you know, what we would want in a sense of, you know, the philosopher king or something, but he was a Catholic, so how great would that be to have a Catholic as, you know, running everything and then running the military and running the police and everything? Well, that sounds good because we have the power, right? you know, um, but... Would we allow for the full expression of democracy and free speech if we were running it? Right. Now, there are things that get labeled under free speech right now that it's like, really, that seems kind of harsh. You know, these horrible depictions of crucifixes or the Blessed Mother using like cattle feces or something. So it's like, how can somebody get away with that? Well, uh, they can precisely because we've allowed under the same umbrella of free speech – for us to do this podcast, for, you know, uh, priests and, you know, ministers of other churches to to preach the gospel. Um, so it's kind of hard to say, um, to transfer your conscience into like, well, I just wish that we could elect somebody who would do everything right. Well, then right. what are you supposed to do? Right. I don't know. Exactly. And as long as we're looking for the perfect politician to just, it's the, it's the transfer of conscience. We can't transfer it to the church. So we're going to transfer it into the political realm. You just do everything right. So I can just be totally passive. It's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. So anyways, I think that's pretty good. That's the second one. That makes sense? Number three. Number three. We were dancing to that last night. That song is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, Please look it up if you've never heard of it. Um, Number three. And this is the most, I think this is the most common one, though I don't think it's true. This is, okay, so... If the first one is an apathy in the political realm, the second one is uh, a false obedience or a transfer of consciousness. Tell me who to vote for. The third one is what I call the equivocation of all issues. Okay? Mm. So you are a Catholic. You're voting in the political realm, and there's a million issues at hand. Okay? Right. Abortion, immigration, health care reform, 
uh, foreign policy, stimulus to the economy, homosexuality, and, and gay marriage. Boom, there's a million of them right there. What this says is all the issues have to be considered as one, and they're all equal. And ben, depending on what's important to me, it dictates my vote. This was, if I'm not mistaken, and i got to be very careful to say this, but I think this is what Cardinal Bernadine was describing in his seamless garment depiction. He, so, I mean, even you have bishops and priests who are promoting this style of engagement in the political realm. These, all these issues are important. They all have to be considered equally, um, and uh, you just decide what's most important to you. So if you're really pro-life, then you're going to vote life. If you're Hispanic, you're gonna, the, the only thing that matters is immigration. If you're unemployed, then you're going to vote for the economy, right? You can see how this works. If you have homosexual friends or something like that, you're going to vote for the gay marriage stuff. It all depends on my interest. But you see the problem here. It's all relative to what's important to me. Mm -hmm. I become the measure of what is politically significant and what is politically important. Problem. Any thoughts on that? Do you think I represent Cardinal Bernadine fairly? I'm not trying to slam him here. It's it's a very common thing coming out of the 70s and 80s, but I think it's extremely problematic, and I'll explain why in a second. Uh, That's pretty much the only understanding of the seamless garment that I have. Uh, what you just described and the, the problematic approach of that. Um, I think, the as we said, first part, church is not apolitical, um, but the gospel really does touch many of these areas. Um, so whereas Christ didn't specifically say, you know, um, immigration reform is, needs to be, you know, X, Y, and Z, um, there are principles uh, in particular, the you know personalist principle. No more principles. Wait. No more principles. What you're gonna do it? Yeah, we'll come back to that. Okay. You, you're you're too smart. You keep going into the fourth one. So the question of issues issues does not deal with principles. It's just about what's important to me, right? Right. What are the most pressing and important issues to my life right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I met a nurse who came out after my homily. She's very respectful, but she just said I voted uh, for President Obama because I'm in the healthcare world. And there are people committing suicide because they don't have health care. She's like, this is the most important thing for me right now. That's a classic example of this is what's important to me. And I'm supposed to say I respect that and I'm tolerant of that, so just vote for whoever. Right. I don't think that's a proper approach. And I don't think we're ever going to be unified. And most of all, I don't think we're going to build a society uh, upon that. What we're building it on is consensus around issues. And that's precisely how political parties build, is that they're compromised because they're trying to build consensus on issues. And there's not a lot of principles that are guiding these things, if any. It's all about uh, political party and, and, again, building consensus so you can have power. Mm-hmm. And that's just a hugely destructive way to build society and to build legislation. Yeah, the the, the onset of lobbying groups within Washington, uh, and, I mean, not just Washington, but I worked in the state legislature in Springfield, um, and the power that these um, corporations, bodies of individuals hold is uh, really important because uh, a lot of times there's a lot of issues that politicians aren't able to fully research and understand the impact. So, I mean, they do studies and, you know, talk to people um, and kind of bring their interests. But uh, I think it's what you're saying is consensus, you know. Um, So if we can just get enough people on the side of this, well, we will, you know, we will push it forward. Well, then that's just like, get enough, you know, people clapping for something and, you know, then all of a sudden it becomes truth exactly. or what we need. And, 
it it really does take it really does take someone who has special ability not just to be not to just to work from both sides of the aisle. I mean, you hear that so many times. Like, you know, I'm going to what's the word like when they say, you know, I'm a I'm a Democrat, but I'm going to work with Republicans. I'm a right. I'm a Republican, but I'm going to work across the aisle to work with Democrats. Um, well, that's all well and good, but um, why don't we do more of seeing what what is the good at stake and and seeking after the good together instead of is this going to get me reelected? Is this going to you know make me popular or fashionable or you know relevant to today's crowd? Where am I really like doing something prophetic? Not just looking forward, but doing something that sees to the truth and to the heart of the issue and advocating for that. You know, you saw that with civil rights, you saw that with slavery, um, but I mean, I don't know if we've had many of those moments, you know? No, no. And, uh, and now the language of civil rights is being used in the gay rights understanding, which is a whole, that's my kind of world up here, but we'll get to that in just a second here. So... Yeah, that's the third one. But the building of consensus is not a fitting way to, and so for us as Catholics, we can't just say, this is the issue that's important to me, so I'm going to vote that way. Unacceptable, Hmm. in my opinion. Number four, this is where it gets dicey. This is where I started getting letters, and I told them, I said, you know, this is where you're not going to be happy with me, but let's talk about this. Um, And uh, the fourth way to be a Catholic in the voting world, which I think is the only fitting and appropriate way, is voting from principles. So it's not apathy, first way. It's not blind obedience, the second way. It's not issues-based voting. It's principles-based voting. I have principles that are timeless, that are universal, that in all ways govern and create a just society. They can be known. They are revealed in their fullness in Christ in some form, and they are held and preserved by the church for all eternity. That's what it means to be a Catholic who's rooted in principles. Principles being coming from the Latin word principium, the beginning, the foundation of everything. Now, how I apply those principles to the issues, that's where it's going to get real interesting and real dicey. How I apply those principles to this present context, 2012, the United States of America, that's going to be very different than how we apply those principles to 16th century Florence, Italy, or 3rd century Rome, whatever, right? It's going to be radically different but the issues will always be there the principles will always have to be applied now here's the kicker this is where it gets problematic this is where people get frustrated with me but i think this is true there are some issues that the principles can be applied to and there's flexibility let me give you an example um immigration we need immigration reform there are certain catholic social principles that are due to people and they deserve that they deserve certain rights and certain but there's a number of ways that that can be applied and understood there's flexibility there it's the same with stimulus to the economy it's the same with um, health care reform we need health care reform if you apply the principles that are timeless there's enough distance so to speak where you can in fact have some flexibility and some distinction uh, and there's different ways of holding it in terms of uh, applying the principles to the issues make sense mm-hmm. versus what I call issues that are so proximate to the principle that to vote one way is the only option. They are non-negotiable. To vote another way is to sacrifice and to forsake and to surrender the principle itself. And the three issues that I'm seeing right now in our context where the principles apply so directly that you cannot uh, otherwise vote 
without surrendering the principles is life, liberty, and marriage. Those are the three. And I laid those out and I knew that's where it would get dicey, especially right. with the marriage stuff that up here, that's kind of our hot issue. But to vote pro-abortion is to surrender the fundamental principle that the right to life and that the inalienable right of innocence uh, cannot be killed, cannot be destroyed. That, that just simply is the foundation of society, period. Likewise with religious liberty. To vote against that is to say that religious liberty is not in some way um, at the very foundation and the very right of all people in our country. And then thirdly with marriage. To surrender the notion that marriage between one man and one woman is not at the foundation of our culture. To vote for the recreating, so to speak, of a pseudo-marriage uh, is simply to surrender that principle. And I think those are the three principles that I say are non-negotiables right now. That They simply cannot be done. And I would argue that against other things that are important. But they're not as important because the principles do not apply as directly. Does that make sense? Mm. Well, I think, you know, just... Just from my memory, I think Archbishop Shapu, when he was here, talked about, you know, the the right to life as the fundamental right. And so there are other rights within Catholic social teaching that people should, you know, inform themselves on. The right to work, um, the right to, um, I mean, religious freedom of sorts. Um, uh, I mean, I haven't taken this class yet, so. You know. You've been taking Catholic social teaching? No, I take it next semester. Okay. But there are other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that are those right? Yes. But if you're talking about the right to life, the foundation. The foundational right, if you take that away from somebody, they will never get the chance to vote. Yeah. They will never get the chance to go to school. They will never get the chance to work. And not just the chance, like you've you've removed those possibilities from them. Um and so uh you know, all those other rights are are grounded in this right. And so uh, it's not just it's not just a question of um, convenience or you know can we find a better way like could we find a way to curb abortions using you know uh, better education or you know, uh, you know I I don't know get get people to work you know help families I don't know there are certainly ways in which we can improve our economy improve our society so that abortion no longer becomes an option. But still allowing abortion as an option and, and, and understanding that there, there are individuals who want to curb that and decrease the number of those, well then, um, you kind of have to, according, according to your theory, according to this principles, principles base, that would be the principle. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I think of all, of all of them, that is the preeminent principle. There's nothing... Uh, that's more important and more pressing than that right now. And then in addition to the fact that when we talk about marriage, we're talking about the building block of every human society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and every nation is grounded in family life. Um, and so if we're starting to redefine families, if we're starting to redefine marriage, well, we are, we are diluting our foundation. Um, I mean, we had... Uh, our teacher talked about how there was the study done from the University of Texas, and I'm not, I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, this University of Texas study, <clears throat> which was which was balanced, um, was uh, was saying that, you know, bracketing the whole like morality sin issue. Okay, children who were raised in same sex environments where one parent was dealing with same sex issues 
or uh, or the other one was, or maybe they split up and and now one of them's you know in a homosexual union or of something of that nature. They are they are an increased risk for drug use, for depression, for you know violence, um, all these things. Well, why is that? You know, um, and I and and he got a lot of hate mail on it, and I wish I wish that I had. Um, the study so I could quote a little more, but it was from the University of Texas. I'm sure if you type in University of Texas homosexual study, you'll find the results of that. And the heated debate that happened over that, because no one wants to admit that it's better, 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 better for a child to be in a home with a, a father and a mother and, and, and for them to be in a stable union, understanding that there are, that there are um, families that are, you know, victimized by divorce abuse, um, of, of countless natures, but as it, the, the study, this study, and not just basing it only, only on studies, but it's the way God intended it, uh, because there was divorce and, you know, abuse and violence in the scriptures too. And, and, you know, Christ's descendants include some of the, or ancestors, ancestors include some of these people that, um, that, as I said, it's, it's the way God intended it, but it's also, um, it's a natural environment for these for these children to grow up in. And if we're redefining that, we're going to start to get unnatural results. We're going to get higher rates of crime and violence and, you know, depression and suicide than we ever saw before. Why is that? Why is that that all these things are happening now? Not blaming it totally on homosexual unions. Not trying to do that, but but, you know, if this is the fundamental building block of our of our society, then we have to be very careful the way in which we're defining it or redefining it. Yeah, and it's uh that is the that is the issue. And and most of the arguments and the feed, uh, pushback I got from this homily was uh, around precisely what you said. So I think we should actually do another podcast on that completely sometime. But one final thought on that: what I told them, and th- I think this was the strongest point, was when we we think we're doing them a favor, uh, people who struggle with same sex attractions, we think we're doing them a favor by trying to recreate marriage, redefine marriage, nature, sex, according to whatever we think will be nicest for them. But we're lying to them. And and what I said is we're cowards. We're cowards because we're afraid to try and love them without condoning their actions. And that's always the sign of true cowardice. Instead, we're going to lie and we're going to pretend like we can change things that we can't change uh, instead of trying to be courageous uh, and, and selfless and trying to actually love people who struggle with same-sex attractions. That is what we need, and that's what we keep failing to do by compromising and doing things that are simply impossible. So that was the end. And I said, don't surrender your principles when you walk into the election, into the uh, booth on election day. And uh, I think that's the key. As Catholics, we are the conscience of the world. That was from uh, Diane, Diogenes. Remember that Diogenes, that letter, first century? He said, wow. uh, Christians are the conscience of the world. You are the conscience of the world. If you surrender your principles, you surrender yourself. And if you surrender yourself, you just surrendered Christ uh, from the world. So we have to be faithful. We have to be honest. And we have to surrender our desire to uh, have preference on our issues. So that's that. Tough. Tough. Thanks for listening. I think we'll uh, kick it there. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to do my piece um, just because Father John and I were talking about this beforehand, but... You know, believe in Jesus, vote, okay? And I don't know what's going to happen. 
I don't know if Romney's going to win. I don't know if Obama's going to win. I don't want to just focus on that race because there's countless other races that matter. State, local, um, things that are actually going to affect your community that you really need to be involved in. Um, But in the end, um, was it better for the Christians to be uh, persecuted under Diocletian? Um, Yes and no. I mean, for the ones that died, uh, well, I mean, hopefully they're in heaven. I mean... If they didn't, you know, apostatize, and even if they did apostatize, I have absolutely no idea what God is doing with the world, and I'm not going to try to, um, but we need to be involved in the public sphere, and as much as we can, but really, you know, falling on our knees and saying that, you know, my home is not of this world, um, I want to make this a better place for my for my children, my myself, for my grandchildren, whoever, my community, my brother, the the stranger, the lonely, the poor, those who are uh, disaffected by, you know, the greed of of this world. But I put my trust in the Lord, uh, and I want to be his servant. But, I mean, in order to be his servant, we really have to exercise our responsibility, um, and that's first and foremost through voting. So, um, good luck. Good luck.